There's a wise saying, as iron sharpens iron, so does a friend sharpen another friend. There's a worrying trend in the world we live in. People are not engaging in vigorous debate. You know, I was fortunate enough when I was a little kid to be <clears throat> raised uh, in part by my grandma and grandfather, and they were from my grandma's from Berlin, Germany, and they grew up and passed on to me a culture of challenging people's ideas. You know, one thing I've noticed, especially in the United States, people take a front and immediately take things personally when you don't agree with them because they don't remember the saying, as iron sharpens iron, so will a friend, so will other thoughts, so will debate, so will the opposite side sharpen you. You see, as long as nobody's being nasty about it, and even if they are being nasty about it, who cares? Don't you want to be sharpened? I want to be sharpened, and I hope you, on your goal, on your path to the good life, health, wealth, love, and happiness, that you realize you will need to be sharpened. Like my favorite po poem all of you know, Chief Tecumseh, love your life, perfect your life, beautify all things in your life. You see, everybody wants perfection and beauty in their life, but people aren't willing to have their lives sharpened. When I was uh, in, still a teenager, I when I went to be on a farm with Joel Salatin, he was the master of sharpening knives. I remember, you need a sharp knife on a farm, he told me. It can save your life. People who are sailors, they know. A sharp knife at times is life and death. A sharp mind is the same way. And I remember he, would, he showed me how to sharpen a knife. You would take a special stone. You'd put this special oil on it. And every night, it was funny, on the winter, he'd be in there sharpening these knives. We'd use them for different things. Whether it was, you know, butchering chickens or, you know, cutting rope. That must be your approach. You must be continually challenging yourself. One of the great uh, sayings of Charlie Munger, the billionaire, the great thinker of our time, he says, avoid, avoid uh, excessive ideologies. Avoid extreme ideologies. Before, he says, you should be able to take a stand on anything. You should be able to argue the other side better than the other side can argue its own point. How can you sharpen your life? Well, begin to ask people to challenge you. Man, I was, I just went to a <clears throat> movie not too long ago with a couple acquaintances and we came out and one of them was just like we saw Maleficent <laughs> some Disney movie was the only thing available with Angelina Jolie and one of the people that I was with just she just started on about how she hated the movie and how the prologue was too long and all this kind of and I was thinking I, I challenged her I was like what do you mean the prologue is too long the introduction to the movie what's the definition where is it definitively written that the prologue should only be this long. And she was backpedaling. Well, you know, the original was the original story before Disney changed it and tweaked it had a five minute opening. And this movie was adapted and had a 20 minute. And I challenged her again and I said, Well, who said that there's anything wrong 
with changing it. Who said that the old original story is better? Well, she said, well, it was written hundreds of years ago. And I said, well, hundreds of years ago, the Supreme Court of the United States declared that black people were not fully human. They were morons. Just because something is 100 or 200 years old doesn't mean it's necessarily correct. And again, but then the arguments started to escalate because then arguments begin to be go uh, to go what's called ad hominem, where you begin to attack and they begin to attack me, not attacking me. Say, well, you're closed minded, right? Begin to be personal. See, I wasn't being personal. I was asking them to define, like Wittgenstein, the great philosopher, said, words matter. I was saying, well, maybe that's just a style difference. They said, well, the movie Frozen. I hated that movie, Frozen. It's a horrible movie. And I said, well, I think it's the best-selling uh, uh, you know, little cartoon movie. I, I'm not sure of all time, but certainly one of the highest – uh, grossing ones of all time. Millions of people enjoyed it. How can you just so quickly say it's a horrible movie? And she said, well, you know, it was this and that and da, da, da. And I said, well, let me put it to you this way. Angelina Jolie in the movie we just saw. Uh, I recognize that Angelina Jolie is beautiful now as she's older and before when she was younger. But she's never done it for me. I, she's not my type. Something about her, again, I recognize the beauty there, uh, but not my type. You see the difference I was trying to – I said that's how you should approach a movie. Fools take extreme positions and say, oh, that was a horrible movie. What is more accurate in your speech, like Wittgenstein talks about, the power of words and the power of language. You know, He says if a lion could speak, we wouldn't know what he was saying. Words create reality for a lion in his Wittgenstein's imaginary conversation and in our human experience. So I said, you know, you have an intense ideology and it's going to spill over. Of course, the movie's not important, right? We were just talking about a movie, but the wiring of her brain, the way the synaptic relays, the way the amygdala, the fear part, and then, and you know, the cerebellum and each part of her brain was firing and wiring. Whether it be her conversation about movie, I never, or thank God I didn't get in a conversation about religion or politics because if you're faithful with a little, you'll be faithful with a lot. If you think correctly about small things, you'll also be able to think through large things. And I said, step back, change your language. But you know, that conversation escalated to the point that I was mad and they were mad and it just ended. And you see, they didn't understand. They took it personally. They didn't remember. As iron sharpens iron. I was sharpening them. I was sharpening them. And they did not recognize it. And the penalty for not recognizing it is large. It's a life that is not perfected. You need your life perfected. Love your life. Perfect your life. How can you do that? Well, you must challenge each and every idea. I tell you some fun ways to do it. Go to comedy. Comedians are the satirists and the cynics and the jesters of our time. They're able to say things that you can't normally say, whether it be about race, whether it be about politically correct statements, whether it be about politics, religion, God, 
go. That's a fun way to begin to challenge yourself. Listen to comedians that make you mad. Again, iron is sharpening iron. Most comedians are intelligent. It's hard to stand on stage and be funny. Evolution says that the, uh, the ability to be witty is highly correlated with intelligence. Get around smart people. Turn off the Kardashians. Turn off weak-minded magazines. Most magazines are weak. That's why I'm publishing my own magazine. Uh, not because I'm necessarily better, but because I have an intense focus on doing, bringing something that brings new insight into your life. But the number one thing that will keep you. See, just going to comedy isn't enough. Just reading a book isn't enough. I challenge you to go further. Decide for one year that you will adopt a different political view. Right? Or for one year. Or if you can't handle a year, for one week. Decide, you know, if you always say you hate, I don't know, um, comedy movies. Go see comedy. Begin to expand the mind. Begin to let those things that feel rough to you, that make you uncomfortable, recognize that they have the ability to sharpen you. When I said Joel Salatin would sit in Swope, Virginia, when we're in the wintertime and the snow outside, and I remember I have fond memories. It was like a second father for me. And we'd be eating dinner, and it'd be cold and dark, and the wind would be blowing. His house was built in the 1700s. It was an amazing house. It was built before the United States was a country. It was like in the 1760s. And he'd be sitting there and, you know, could hear the wind blowing outside. And you knew the cows were safe in the barn. And firewood was stacked up. And you were in a house that had stood the test of time for hundreds of years. And you were sitting there. And there was Joel with this hard rock with a little oil on it. And he was going back and forth, sharpening the blade so that when we needed it, it would be ready. That's the figurative understanding you must have of your mind. You must prepare it, and it gotta, has to be prepared against a little bit of friction, or I should say a lot of friction. It's okay to use a little oil. The oil, Peter Drucker speaks of in the book Managing One Himself. He says, be sure to use some manners when you talk to people. That's the oil, because if you remove manners, and like I said, arguing ad hominem, you must avoid that. That's when you attack the person. Leave the person out of it. So if you're standing next to somebody, and they're a big fat person, and they're arguing why you should not eat bread or something, and they're making a valid point based on science, based on some, you know, some substantive concept don't say well i don't you know you don't know what you're talking about because you're fat that's a fallacy of logic avoid the fallacies of logic those are different than the cognitive biases but they're somewhat you know related fallacies of logic are mistakes you make in getting to a point the greeks used to teach logic unfortunately it's one of the things lost and we we live in a world now where it's like the world poo-poos logic, and I thought logic, go with your heart. That's the biggest bunch of BS. Every single thing you and I enjoy now, every modern convenience, your ability to listen to this right now, which is amazing. A hundred years ago, if you would have known you could you know, send packets of light across the planet, whether it be in TV, in podcasts, in YouTube, they would have thought you were a sorcerer. 
But we're able to do that. Why? Because logical people, people who thought correctly, people who were sharpened by other people's idea, people who challenged among their friends, among their acquaintances, they weren't afraid to get a little down and dirty and have a conversation where you challenged each other. Just like I said, make sure you have a little oil to the conversation. Joel Salatin didn't use just a rock against the blade. That could be too much friction. So be polite. Let other people talk. I'm not always the best at that. <laughs> I'm a hard charging person if you know. You know, believe in astrology. If you want to go there, I'm an Aries. We don't suffer fools. But uh not sure astrology has anything to do with it. I think it's my personality probably learned over time. And so I have to do my best to try to inject some oil. Now, some of you listening to this, you have too much oil. Oil and not enough iron hitting against stone or other iron. You see, you're too polite. You never challenge. You let stupid ideas arise and stay high, stay on top. Pull them back down if they need to be pulled back down. You know, I read Adam Carolla in his book, President Me, a hilarious book, but as I told you, comedians are able to say things we can't normally say because they say it tongue in cheek. And he speaks of, you know, well, when we see people feeding their fat five-year-old children Coca-Cola and candy, do we really want to be in a society where no one says anything? Where we just all bear the tragedy of kids? Because it's not the kid's fault. You cannot hold a five-year-old accountable for their interest in sugar. You know, you're five. We we have laws. Most modern cultures, 16 to 18 is when you're truly accountable for your own actions. Below that, you're not, you know, barring major crimes. You are not. The parents, so Adam Carolla and President Me, he says you should, people should walk up to people who have kids and pull them aside and be like, man, you're destroying the society that you and I live. You're destroying uh, the efficiency with which my tax money is being spent because – it's being spent on your diabetic kid. You know, iron could sharpen iron. Some of you are too afraid of confrontation. And some of you are on the other spectrum. You don't use enough oil. You're too confrontative. I tend to be, at times, those of you who know me, too confrontational. You must find the balance. As I've talked about before, Aristotle spoke of the mean, the average, the middle ground. A little bit like Buddhism, right? The middle ground, as Aristotle said, it's not enough to be angry. You must, that's easy. But to be angry at the right person at the right time for the right reason, for the right, to the, uh, you know, for the right duration, this is difficult. So in the same way, this conversation that I'm having with you now about your need, the need for you to challenge other people. Some people call it arguing. Call what you will. Don't be afraid of a good argument. But again, you must not just argue because that's easy. You need to know how to argue the right reasons at the right time. There's a wrong time to do it at the right person and for the right intensity and duration. Pick your battles. As our nation used to tell me, don't try to teach a pig to fly. You can't do it. And it bothers the pig. Sometimes you're in a conversation with pigs, meaning it's not benefiting anybody. It's a Pareto inefficiency. It's a lose, lose. As Jesus Christ said, uh, uh, don't throw your pearls to swine because they'll eat the pearls and then they'll turn and bite you. 
So there's a situation at times when it's a pointless one. But when you're with friends, don't don't be afraid to to uh, throw something out there. Call people out on their stuff. Explain your rationale. Ask people to prove their points. God knows we need a world where people that would be. Uh, uh, God knows we need to be in a world where people are calling each other out and calling a spade a spade and calling BS and saying, "Hey, back up what you're talking about." The world has moved forward by people following a certain seven-step process. And those of you who know, who on my website, tylopez.com, I'll put a little plug in there. There's the 67 steps that I that I uh, uh, have laid out for you to becoming a millionaire or to having a high impact if your goal is not to make money. And one of those is the seven-step scientific process, which means you must hypothesize. Then you must test the hypothesis and then you must observe what's going on while you test then you got to analyze the result and then you need to put it forward out to other people to challenge the results peer review of your ideas and then you need to adjust and start back over again this is the true process of knowledge if you want to be great if you want to be healthy if you want to be wealthy if you want to have impact and change the world and find love and happiness i read an interesting study that said people who try many things tend to be happier than people who don't even though that the people who uh, even though that uh, the fact that people who try a lot generally encounter more failures uh, small failures i'm not talking about life changing life threatening ones you want to Eliminate all failures that will cause you to have massive setbacks. But to the extent that you try things, it's not a failure if it's following this seven-step scientific process. Look it up. Look it up on Wikipedia. Begin to think that way. So whatever idea you have, let's say you are a vigorous Republican or you are a strict Catholic or you are a vegan Change the thinking from attachment to an idea because you will generally fall prey to what's called the certainty bias. It's a bias in our brain that we have adapted over time uh, uh, to basically naturally fall into. And the reason being, it's a simple reason. You and I come from environments and histories Right, a thousand generations back, your grandma, your great grandmother, they lived in a world where there was less information. There used to be lightning and thunder, and they did not have the tools to analyze and say, okay, that's high pressure systems and low pressure systems and so on. No, so they just, but they wanted to be certain. They didn't want uncertainty, so they said, all oh, the gods are angry. That's why it's lightning. Right? Look through history. You'll see patterns of that. That's an intense and extreme ideology. That is emanating and coming from the need for certainty. You don't want to be like that, right? It's the mark of a refined mind. It's the mark of a mind that's moving the world forward for people to begin to say, well, let's test the hypothesis. The gods being angry. That's the reason we have thunder and lightning. Well, if you put that to the test, you'd begin to say, well, hmm, it's interesting. Every time these certain clouds come here or certain times of the year, we tend to see more thunder and lightning. So if the gods were angry, are the gods angry only in October? 
And you'd begin to test that and you'd begin to analyze and maybe you'd begin to question. And you'd put that up for other smart people. You remember, don't forget the step of peer review. That's the iron sharpening iron. So you put this up for peer review, whatever your idea, in this case, your hypothesis is that the, you know, the thunder is God being angry. And as you put it to the test, you realize there's probably a flaw and a fallacy in that idea. And you rehypothesize. Well, maybe it's not that. I noticed that generally in October, I'm seeing this. So maybe it has something to do with something related to October. And you'd redo it. And over time, massive amounts uh, of uh, iterations of that process, starting back at step one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, going back through. This must be your new framework. I'm going to be talking about this in another talk. I talk about this in my my academy. Some of you, the, the business academy I have, some of you are part of that. For those of you who aren't, I highly recommend it to not everyone listening. It's, it's not appropriate. It's a white belt, black belt program. Uh, good 20% of you, it will revolutionize your life. And one of the things we talk about where in specifically in business is disability. People, rich friends, poor friends. My poor friends are certain of everything. They have an absolute idea. This is the business I'm going to do, and this is going to make me a million dollars. Right? My rich friends go, you know what? I got. I woke up this morning. I had this hypothesis that the best business I could do is this, and the best price I should do, but I'm going to run it through the seven-step seven, uh, step scientific process. I'm going to make a hypothesis. Now, I should add, that uh, I kind of omitted one of the steps. One of the steps, I was kind of giving an abbreviated version. One of it is research. So before you form a hypothesis, you generally want to research. So maybe you say, I'm getting ready to open a hot dog stand, and I research what all the other hot dog stands charge. They charged $1 for a hot dog on Saturday night. So I'm going to start with $1, but I'm observe. I'm going to test it. No idea is sacred. Everything must stand uh, and and fall on its own merit. So you have your hot dog stand, you, you charge a dollar, and you begin to see, well, if there's a line of 500 people waiting and you run out of hot dogs, it's probably a good sign you should charge more. So you put it to the test, you observe, you analyze, you ask some smart people, hey, it seems like I run out of hot dogs and there's still people in line. What do you think? My new hypothesis, I'm going to start over. I was thinking of raising the price to a dollar fifty. And I might want to do a little research. Do Are there other hot dog people doing this, charging a little more? And you do research and you rehypothesize. You start over. See, we grew up, and I won't get too much into this now. We grew up in a world that's, uh, unfortunately, for various reasons, superstition. Some of it's, you know, entrenched morality. Not that morality is bad. Some of it's uh, false religion. I'm not saying all religion's false, but I'm saying there's plenty of false religion in the world. I'm sure you agree. And it's gotten into our head from a young age, and we begin to think of the world in black and white. Some of it's the educational system, giving kids A's and F's. and uh, Not that I'm super against that, but in certain areas, especially when it comes to critical thinking, it, it's, you know, A and an F is is less of an of a, a effective method. You must think about accuracy, Right. And accuracy evolves over time. So for you, as a man or a woman who wants to sharpen their lives and perfect their lives, you're going to have to throw your ideas against other iron with a little oil in between to reduce the friction. If you're a highly sensitive person, you're going to have to toughen up a little bit. You're going to have to realize it's not the end of the world. Just because someone doesn't agree with you doesn't mean 
that it's a personal affront to you. I notice this in America. It's a growing epidemic. Nobody, everybody's tap dancing and tiptoeing around conversation. Bring up the conversation. That's why I said go to comedy. They're able to say things. Everybody else tiptoes around, whether it be, you know, political, religious, racial, whatever it might be. Don't be afraid. Don't insult people. Use a little manners, like Drucker says, in managing oneself. But yet, attack those things that need to be attacked. And when you're wrong, be sure to say you're wrong. But whatever you do, do not forget that the world is moved forward by people sharpening each other. Make sure you surround yourself, not with yes men, but with people who have, uh, you give the right by not shooting them down and calling them names. You give the right to challenge you. You will be better for it. What do you want to be? A safe person who everybody just pats you on the back all the time? You know what that person turns into. A weak person. I'm reading a fascinating book by this uh, lawyer who always wanted to play basketball but wasn't good enough to be pro basketball player. Didn't I don't even think played college basketball. I highly recommend it. I just started on it. And it's I'm going to go over here to my office and get it. It's called uh, The Hoops Whisperer by, about Idan Ravine. Hoops Whisperer, you know, he, he teaches great basketball players like LeBron James uh, and Chris Paul, you know, some of the greatest basketball players. He's just this average kind of, you know, not even super tall, not even super accomplished. He teaches them how to be better at basketball. You would think that's cockiness. No, he's iron, sharpening iron. And this is what I love about pro sports. Even Michael Jordan and LeBron James are listening to people. If it seems that they are, uh, that there's a person out there that has a bit of knowledge for them, even if it hurts, they listen. And this this Ravine guy, he talks about how he broke down LeBron James, arguably the greatest basketball player, you know, playing the game at the time. And he said, you know, you can't, you're not good off the left hand. And he says, you're not, you're not very good at outside catch and shoot. And he broke him down. And thank God for the league, LeBron James lowered his guard. And the iron sharpened iron in LeBron now is good off the left hand and is good shooting law, you know, catch and shoot. There's a great story in the book, um, uh, made in America by Sam Walton. Maybe the best businessman of all time, 160 billion net worth for himself and his family. And he, and he said the key pivotal point, I forget the exact year he had started, you know, in retail at 1945. By the sixties, he still didn't have a huge empire. Walmart was still, I think, 15, 20 stores. And in the late sixties, early seventies, he began to think about going public. But before he did, he brought in consultants. And these consultants were some of the former uh, uh, CEOs of his competitors. And he said they came in and they just ripped me apart. They said, the prices are all wrong. The way you display things on your shelves are all wrong. And he said they were brutal and he could hardly take it. But you know, he was wise enough and humble enough to understand that iron sharpens iron. And the ideas that they gave him, he took. And it wasn't too much longer You know, he went public, expanded from 20 stores to hundreds of stores. And I think in 19, by 1984, he was the richest person in America. Why? 
Why? Because he understood that iron sharpens iron. In fact, he not only was, you know, randomly coming uh, into people that were challenging his ideas, he was hiring people and saying, come tell me what I'm doing wrong. See, love your life, perfect your life. He was perfecting his life. That should be you. Do that in your life. Not only wait for, uh, don't just wait for it to happen. That's what most people do. They walk around, oh, well, maybe someone will give you. No, no. People are not going to naturally speak into your life to sharpen. Go seek them out. The only thing that you have to lose is a little bit of ego, and there's nothing wrong. Like I say on my board I'm staring at, 67 Steps. You can get this PDF on my website, tylopez.com, but I'm staring at it, and it says, from where does all the pride come? I meet people. Why are you so proud? I want to ask them. What have you ever done? Are you just proud because your mom told you you were great, patted you on the back, and said you were her little angel? My friend had a had a guy. He has a one of he's a real successful guy. He has a name's Basil, and he has this big uh, tree leaf and limb service, one of the largest ones on the on the East Coast, and. Making, you know, it's grown it a multi-million dollar business. But I remember when he started out, <clears throat> when I was younger, I used to work for him and his dad, or his dad, and he had a guy working for him named Perfecto. He was a Mexican guy, and his mom had actually named him Perfection. Perfecto. I feel like that does a lot of damage and sets you on the wrong path. I don't think naming your kids Perfect or Perfect Angel is smart, right? Make your kids earn it. Make yourself earn it. We need less entitled people. Don't tell me how the world owes you and how you're, I mean, even life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's the American dream. That's great that that's there, and I appreciate that the Constitution offers that to us. But you know what? I want to earn those things. I want to earn my liberty. I want to earn my happiness. And I'll tell you this, it feels better in the long run. Remember I said the most, uh, the largest class of successful people, the largest industry of the 440, 450 self-made billionaires is investors. There's 77 of them. And investors are willing to forego present pleasure for long-term benefit. We don't need more YOLO in the world. You only live once. We don't need, you know, you see this little memes, pop, pa- pictures passing around the internet on Facebook walls, and it's like, live today like it's your last day. Well, there's, a, in a sense, a small amount of truth to that, but what you're also saying is prepare to die. I, they're also saying, you know, it's moronic. You're probably not going to die today. So you don't want to live your if I mean if I knew for sure I was going to only uh live today I wouldn't work out at the gym at all why it takes 6 weeks to see big results from even working out on a Monday you don't really see your muscle doesn't grow the same day and if I knew I was going to die tomorrow I would eat Haagen-Dazs ice cream and uh you know I would eat Skittles So what's the point of this you know, this is, I'm challenging. See, I'm the iron that wants to bring a, a challenge to the world's ideas. You do the same with me. It shouldn't just be me. Make sure there's some evidence. Learn how to think. Learn the classic arguments and ways to argue. There's something called arguing ad absurdum. That's a tool. Learn what that tool means.
I have looking here on I've got a book that I love um I think it's called How to Think but I uh, I'll look for it as I'm doing this talk I've got several libraries in my house and I'm not sure which one it's in but there's multiple books on how to think get a simple book on logic just google logic learn the classical tools just like you'd want oh here's a book logic made easy by Deborah Bennett that's one of the ones how to know when language deceives you there's various ones you can just use wikipedia Learn about the fallacies of logic. You must be able to think. There's another book I have here. It's called How to Win Every Argument, The Use and Abuse of Logic by Madsen Paree. I've read that. It's a great little book. Learn things like, uh, you know, I said the gambler's fallacy. Learn existential pruning. Learn equivocation. Learn division or the, the when it comes to logic. Learn contradictory premises. Argument to mad. These are all tools you can do. The bogus dilemma, straw man, red herring. You must understand these. Part of you being a renaissance man or renaissance woman, you've trained and honed your mind. Iron sharpens iron of the brain. But remember, the number one takeaway, don't be afraid of a healthy argument. The world's moved forward by arguments. You know, the Jewish community is full of an immense amount of accomplished doctors and intelligent people, thinkers, mathematicians. And it's interesting, the Jewish culture, if you observe it, is one that encourages arguments. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you what I mean. If you study different religions, and I'm not necessarily saying this is a better religion than others. I'm just showing you a factual, nobody can argue this fact. Some religions have an absolute book. The book says, this book is inspired by God. It's infallible. You know, whether you're Mormon or Christian or, or, or even Jewish or Islamic, that's kind of the trend, right? It's this uh, infallible book. And I'm not saying, I'm not, again, I, don't, I try to stay away from religion and politics. It's too much emotion. <laughs> There's some subjects, like the saying goes, you know, uh, where angels fear to tread. I fear to tread. I, I don't have much fear, but I'm not going to go down the route of arguing religion. But I will say, I observe and study, and I believe there's many uh, great things in religion, although there's been tremendous amount of uh, problems. And uh, so if you study, let's say, Jewish religion, their books are books of debate. Uh, some of the uh, the books that are out that the Jew, Jewish people study are not a definitive answer. I'm not talking about the Old Testament. I'm talking about, you know, the newer books. And these are just different rabbis arguing on different subjects. And that spirit of argument of being argumentative, you know, you've probably heard the lie that being ar arguments never get people anywhere. That's not true. Challenge that. Says who? I don't see that pattern. Study the great thinkers. They got in big arguments with each other. I'm reading uh, this morning. I was just reading. I try to read classics. It was uh, <clears throat> Jean-Jacques Rousseau, and he got in you know massive arguments in the press with Voltaire and some of the great thinkers. You know, Jean-Jacques Rousseau was from Geneva. He was he was uh, Swiss, and uh, Voltaire was French. And these they were arguing. They were pushing and challenging each other. A good debate is healthy. Now, again, like I said, arguments that, that uh, devolve into people 
calling each other names uh, probably have lost their efficacy. They're probably not very effective anymore. So stay away from those time arguments, but there's, most arguments don't go there. Most people are just too weak and they're not, uh, they're too intellectually lazy to be able to back up what they believe. They're just like, eh, you know what, eh. I believe it because my mom believed it, or I believe it because it feels good. I'll tell you, I remember when I was like five years old, I was talking to my mom, and I was on the couch. I remember, it's funny, I can still remember this. I was like, I was watching Tom and Jerry, I think, cartoons. And I said, Mom, come watch these cartoons with me. And she's like, you know, Ty, I'm an adult, and I don't really like cartoons. And I remember saying, what do you mean, Mom? How can you not like cartoons? These are the greatest things ever. And she said, you know, Ty, one day you'll grow up and you won't like cartoons anymore. And I remember the intensity. I looked at her and I said, Mom, I will always love cartoons. But you know what? I was wrong and she was right. What I mean by that is you may have an intense ideology right now. It could be about the absolute way you think business should be run in your company or company you're running. It may be an absolute rule on how your husband or wife or girlfriend or boyfriend uh, treat you. It may be an absolute rule about religion, about politics. But just remember, emotion and the intensity with which you feel something is not necessarily correlated with its accuracy at all. My mom was more accurate in her statement. I, I, I'm trying in my vocabulary not to use the word right or wrong, uh, although I do think you know some things basically are right and wrong. You shouldn't you know kill kittens and puppies. That's basically wrong, <laughs> you know. But I'm talking. I, I try to not get too politically correct, and I try to not to get too you know absolutist. So I'm saying, in general, I believe using the word right and wrong too often is an abuse of language. And what's more accurate and what's more eloquent uh, is the word, ironically, accuracy. So who was more accurate, my mom or me? I had tremendous emotion around my ideology. I was like, Mom, I will always like Tom and Jerry cartoons. It's amazing. You're making a mistake by not sitting down. But she made a more accurate statement. She said, Ty, I don't think you're really going to like cartoons for for long. So don't ever confuse your attachment and your emotion to any idea. I don't care what you've read. Remember, there's another old wise saying, every person's answer sounds correct until you hear the other side. Have you ever watched, you know, like court TV and one person makes a case and you're just like mad at the, you know, it's the person saying, this person ripped me off and I hired them to do this, do my kitchen and I paid them 20 grand and six months went by and just nothing and I want my money back. And you're, if you're listening, if you're not careful, if you're not evolved enough to understand what we're talking about, you you go, well, well, of course, give them money and you hate the defendant. But then when that defendant gets his turn or her turn, all of a sudden, it's like, well, your honor, the reason I took six months is because Bob over here was smoking weed and set his house on fire. So the house was unsafe to go into for four months. Then he didn't pay me for another month. And then 
right when I was going to start working on the kitchen, he said he wanted some special tile in the floor. That took me three weeks to deliver, so your honor, I really only had one week out of those six weeks. I mean, six months to do this. You see, when you hear both sides, it's harder to know. Maybe you have an intense ideology around food. You're sure. I have a brother that was sure being a fruititarian was the answer. Sure. And boy, if you would try to challenge that fruititarian thing, he would just blow you off like, no, you don't know what you're talking about. See, he'd argue ad absurdum. I'm, I'm sorry, ad hominem. He'd be like, well, you're just closed-minded. Well, what does that have to do with the point? You can't attack me personally. That doesn't prove or disprove or begin to lead us towards what's accurate. What is accurate? How much fruit is the right amount of fruit? If you're a vegan, challenge yourself. What is the counter-argument to vegan? Do they have any valid points? You're going to begin to notice as you listen to this talk. Notice how we're in a world where nobody's willing to, A, really encourage healthy debate to sharpen their own idea. You probably realize you're guilty of it. I certainly realize I've been guilty of it. And if you're not careful, it's the natural state. The human mind tries to protect itself. One way you can make this easier, this whole talk on yourself, remove from your brain, and this is probably in the amygdala part, the part behind your eyeballs, kind of in the center of your brain. That's the amygdala back there, in the, about you know, straight back from the eyes, kind of not right behind the eyes. That's more your neo, but in center there. And that part of your brain, okay, is dominant in many ways. I'm not purporting to understand everything about the brain. I'm not a brain scientist, but I'm passing on, you know, layman's conversation here. And what happens to you and I is the second you associate somebody proving and showing you where your one of your ideas is inaccurate, the second you associate that with pain, you're going to resist it forever. Maybe when you're three years old or five years old or ten years old, you had some idea and it turned out to be inaccurate and all your friends and your parents laughed at you. So now you associate, okay, somebody correcting my ideas – and pointing me towards the light, like Plato, I was reading The Republic, I was reading, I love Plato, you know. Most people are in the dark cave and they can't see the light. And they get angry if you tell them about the light. They don't want to know. And that becomes from these fear responses. You must not have those fear responses. You must slowly but surely eliminate them. And what you must do is more like Tony Robbins says, when you're brought down, you get excited. Because when you're down, that means you can rebuild better. When somebody's iron is sharpening the iron of your thoughts, it's weeding out and and uh, disintegrating all the weakest parts and get excited. See people challenging you, not in the momentary, oh, fear response, the subconscious, oh, what do you mean? But see it like, holy crap, I'm going to be the next Sam Walton because he opened up. His stores did these consultants come in and tell him how wrong he was, and he was smart enough to realize if they're leading me towards a more accurate way to run my stores, sure, it hurts for a second because my amygdala makes me feel bad about correction, but he had a refined enough mind. He was a renaissance man to say, you know what really feels good? Making a billion dollars and doing it 160 times till you have 160 billion. That felt good for him. 
So he didn't care about temporary displeasure and discomfort of someone correcting him. He had mastery over his mind. One of the first uh, quotes I ever wrote down from Will Durant in, 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 when I was like 16 years old was, uh, you know, this concept of iron sharpening iron. Get that down. That's, you know, from, that's from Proverbs. But I never had it really brought to my attention till I was reading what Will Durant said, you know. And Will Durant also said, he quoted an ancient saying that said, who is mighty? The person who has control over their own thoughts. I think the saying actually goes, who is mighty? He who has control over his own wicked thoughts. I don't believe so much in the concept of wicked thoughts. I think we understand that that's not how the world, there's an interesting book on that called a, a billion wicked thoughts. If you want to read a controversial book, but read some controversy, make sure it's from good sources. You don't want to read controversy from morons. That'll just get you distracted, but people have devoted their lives and have no real agenda. Remember, beware of perverse incentives. Beware of people trying to sell you something. Those people may not be worth listening to, but okay, there's nothing wrong with seeking out like i said if you're a vegan read every book on why being a vegan is wrong and then if the idea is strong enough to stand on its own and you continue to be a vegan you can do it with more confidence right those of us who have not challenged our own ideas cannot live a life that emanates confidence confidence in we did our due diligence in what we believe Change something big in your life. Most people, once they're 30 years old, can never change their religion. Don't let that be you. Make a vow to yourself that at any point you find out what you believe, some longstanding belief has been incorrect, you will change it no matter the pain and the embarrassment that it brings to you. Now, good news is it won't bring much embarrassment to you. You know what brings embarrassment to you? Failing at stuff. People who do not bring in counter arguments to their own ideas and don't sharpen the iron in their mind with other sharp people with counter opposite beliefs. Those people fail much more often. So set your eye on the real prize. The real prize is not being right all the time. It's in like Warren Buffett and Munger talk about ignorance removal and at the same time, the injection of new, stronger ideas. So remember this. Now, Here's what I got for you. Leave me a comment. Or if you're on a podcast, you know, you can leave a comment if you're on YouTube listening to this, wherever you are listening to this. If you're on podcast, leave me a review, please. That helps me at my podcast. I don't ask for much from people. That's one of the things. If you listen on this YouTube or other places, leave me a comment and answer this question. If you're not in a place, if you're driving in a car, listen and just ask yourself, what's an intense extremist ideology you have and how can you challenge it? Remember, you don't have to change it, just challenging it. Just like your muscles, you want to have big biceps, you want to have toned thighs. If you're a woman, you want to have a big back or chest. If you're a man, well, you're going to do that by resistance training. So what ideology do you have in your brain? It could be a religion, it could be political, it could be a diet, it could be uh, you know, how you see relationships and love and dating. What is that intense ideology you have, and how can you challenge it? Write something down. I'm going to read a book about this. I'm going to go seek somebody out of this. Think 
put leave me a comment. What's that extreme ideology that needs the iron sharpening iron effect? Who can you go talk to? A friend who you know won't let you talk about BS in front of them and they were going to challenge you? Get around that person more often. Don't worry about the momentary pain of a little argument. Worry about the momentary, the long-term pain of a wasted life. God, that's what you, you want to have impact, my friend. For some of you, it's health, wealth. Some of you, it's love. Some of you, it's overall happiness. Get that impact. Be the next Dalai Lama, the next Bill Gates, the next Martin Luther King Jr., the next Joan of Arc, the next Albert Einstein. Whatever it is, the human capacity is much higher than we realize. Even if you don't consider yourself to have high capacity, like Jim Rohn says, you could probably boost it by quite a lot. Leave me that comment. Uh, check out my – I got a million and a half people in 40 countries on my book of the day newsletter. That's at my site. It's absolutely free. No strings attached. TyLopez.com. I'll challenge you. Let me challenge you. And I'm not going to challenge you with my own ideas. I'm going to bring books into your brain like I talked about today, whether it be Wittgenstein, whether it be Jean-Jacques Rousteau, whether it be Voltaire, whether it be Bill Gates or Warren Buffett or Mother Teresa or the Dalai Lama. I will help you with that. You do some of it on your own, and I'll help you for free, tylopez.com. Add me on my Twitter. I put post concepts that will sharpen you, at tylopez. My Instagram as well. Those of you on my Instagram, I post books, visual things, great things for you to see with your own eyes. It's My Instagram's tylopez and the number one, tylopez and the numeral one. My YouTube, same thing, Ty Lopez Official. If you're confused at all where to get all this, my podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, BlackBerry, the best places, it's all located or at least links to everything on my website. So you can just go to tylopez.com. Leave me a comment on the blog there and leave me a comment on uh, YouTube. And if you're listening to this podcast, please subscribe. It helps me grow this message. Uh, subscribe, give me a star rating, whatever you think is fair. Uh, and, uh, hopefully there's not too many one stars, but, uh, you know, I don't want to tell you what to, you do what you think this is worth to you. One to five stars, hopefully five, leave me a little review. And I appreciate that so much, but more importantly, this isn't about me. It's about you. Life is serious. Be serious. Whether you're 18 years old or 50, think critically, be expansive. When people challenge you, get excited and encourage them to do it more. Be like Sam Walton. Let your ideas be ripped down and rebuilt into empires of change, empires of wealth, empires of happiness, em empires of civilization change. Let that be you. You be one or maybe some of you are the next Gandhi. God knows the world needs great people and you'll do it through thought. Go out and buy a book on logic. At least start at Wikipedia. Read the great thinkers. Find and seek out specifically. And Munger talks about this. Charles Darwin came up with the most, some of the most powerful uh, scientific theories because he looked for what's called, uh, you know, you can say it in different ways, but he looked for counter evidence. He was always searching for contrasting ideas. Monger calls this disconfirming evidence. He tried to disprove his theory. And instead of making him weaker, it made him stronger. Let that be you. Let the iron of your life be sharpened by other challenging, disparate, disagreeing ideas. 
Don't lash out. Bite your tongue. Take it and get excited. Okay? My, by, let me uh, just end by saying Millionaire Mentor Academy for some of you. I'll challenge your ideas on business. You may have heard that there's three steps to becoming a millionaire. There's not. There's no one quick way. There's no automate. I don't care how many best-selling books you read. I'm going to show you the evidence, and I'm going to show you my grand theory, not built in my own brain, but I went out, traveled to 51 countries, partnered 12 of the some of the wealthiest people in this world right now are my friends, business partners, allies. I put this all together into one academy. It's a white to black belt system. If you don't have a lot of money, you can start out in the white belt. It's not expensive at all. You can see on my site. You can see a link from Millionaire Mentor. Okay? About 20% of you listening, those of you most engaged who see the biggest impact in the words that I'm saying, I would like to invite you to that academy. I do some free seminars. Check those out on my site. Very important. I give away hours. I did a four-hour and 51-minute thing. Talk. Okay? I charge for about 10 or 20% of what I do, and I give 80% away for free. It's a good balance. I like that freemium model. You can get a lot of value for free, and those of you highly engaged, ready to accelerate the process, ready to shave years off of it, can look at things like my academy. Now, I also have a free thing on my site called the recommended book reading list. I give you, there's 130 million books. Just reading isn't enough. You can fill your head with a lot of gobbledygook and get more distracted, like Sherlock Holmes, you know, the fictional character, but the smart character said, the mind's like an attic and get full. So I, check out my recommended reading list with the order, I think, in which you should read books. Okay? Thanks so much. Stay strong. And uh, stay tuned for the next episode. I put these out about every day. Thanks so much.